This is the Daily Texan newscast for the week ending on October 30th. I'm Anthony Green. And I'm Lillian Michel. This week in news, UT student government introduced legislation on Tuesday opposing a national bill that would force sexual assault survivors to report the assault to authorities within 48 hours. H.R. 3404, commonly known as the Safe Campus Act, would allow colleges and universities to investigate allegations of sexual assault only if the victim reported the incident within that time frame. If the assault is not reported immediately to the police, schools have only 15 days to take certain actions to help the victim, like assisting them in switching classes or dorms. Student Government Chief of Staff Taral Patel said SG members decided to come out against the bill because they believe it will actually discourage victims from reporting the crime at a time when they feel comfortable and will limit the university in aiding victims. Patel said if the resolution is passed, it will be sent to university officials where they hope it will impact the university's stance on the controversial legislation. A team of UT scientists have launched a crowdfunding effort for a research project they're calling Super Mouse. A mouse that cannot get drunk. Associate Professor of Neuroscience John Pierce Shimura will lead the team of postdoctoral researchers, graduate and undergraduate students, who will use their findings to explore possible treatments for alcoholism. Researchers will manipulate what is known as the BK channel in the nervous system, which is responsible for the body's reaction to alcohol. Positive results from the Supermouse project would eventually lead to a drug development for humans that would reduce the effects of withdrawal and ideally ease the patient's path to recovery. The Supermouse team launched their fundraising campaign on October 21st through the UT fundraising site Hornraiser and will be accepting contributions through November 20th. The Liberal Arts Council will vote on legislation in support of creating undergraduate teaching assistant programs in the College of Liberal Arts this coming Tuesday. President of the Liberal Arts Council, Austin Reynolds, is confident the bill will pass and hopes implementation will begin as soon as next year. According to Reynolds, liberal arts courses tend to have poor professor-to-student ratios. Last fall, a task force was created to address TA employment issues. The council's proposal would compensate for any lack of graduate TAs, according to the Associate Dean for Research in the College of Liberal Arts, Esther Raisin. Some liberal arts courses, like Arabic and economics, have employed undergraduate assistants for the past several years. UT's Student Farm Workers Alliance, or SFA, delivered a letter in protest of the two Wendy's locations on campus to President Gregory Finvez. The letter urges UT to cut contracts with Wendy's for being the last of the five major food giants to hold out from joining the Fair Food Program. The program requires farms to treat their workers humanely by providing lunch breaks, bathroom breaks, water, shade, and the ability to leave the workplace due to health concerns. SFA continues to voice their commitment to the Boot the Braids campaign, a nationwide campaign to boycott Wendy's for their abstention. The SFA also held a protest against Wendy's on September 30th. According to UC spokesman Gary Suswine, President Fenvez's office is in the process of reviewing the letter. Carlos Salamanca, an SFA organizer, said he knows change will not be immediate, but hopes the group can establish a relationship with the university and President Fenvez to further their goals. Capital Metro plans to gradually replace the orange and white UT shuttle buses for the city-style models over the next five years in an effort to standardize the look of the bus system. The new city-like buses would have fare boxes, something the current buses don't have, which means students will have to start swiping their student IDs every time they board the bus. Communications specialist at Capital Metro Amy Peck said the current UT shuttle buses date back to 1997 and a technology update was due. 
The light brown prairie grass that fills the greenhouse on the roof of Welch Hall might look plain, but the undergraduate students analyzing samples in the adjacent laboratory are working to maximize its full potential. University researchers will receive $15 million in government funding to lead a national study on the biofuel potential of the switchgrass and panic grass crops housed in the rooftop greenhouse. Portions of the funding are earmarked for a freshman research initiative course and undergraduate lab internships. Large-scale production of biofuels can reduce the climate change effects of fossil fuels, according to university researchers. Early voting began on October 19th and ended today. UT's Flawn Academic Center saw one of the lowest voter turnouts of 19 early voting locations in Travis County. 447 out of the 14,600 registered voters in Travis County cast their ballots at the FAC. Graduate Assistant Coordinator for UT Votes, Cassie Barroquillo, guessed that the low voter turnout was a result of the nature of the ballot. There are seven propositions on the ballot, none of which directly pertain to student life, but involve issues such as highway funding, lowering taxes paid into the public school system, and eliminating the requirement for state elected officials to live in Austin during their time in office. The official date of vote is Tuesday, November 3rd. You can find a breakdown of all seven propositions on the Daily Texans website. A word to the disguised, customers looking to get treated by some franchises on the drag will not be served if they are wearing a mask this Halloween. A few stores on the drag, such as Whataburger and Jamba Juice, have signs on their doors telling customers to take off their masks before they come in if they would like to be served. Some places such as Witch Witch, Potbelly, and Mujo are embracing their customers in costume, not requiring them to take off their Halloween masks in-store. And now to Nick Castillo with the Daily Texan Sports Update. Thanks, Lillian. This week in sports, I'll talk about Texas's upcoming apparel deal, where the Longhorns are at after their 23-9 win over Kansas State, and Texas volleyball's surprising loss. First, the UT Board of Regents is expected to approve Texas Athletics' new Nike apparel contract Friday at a special meeting. The deal is expected to last 15 years to be valued near $200 million, according to the original report from the Austin American Statesman. Now to football, the Longhorns defeated Kansas State 23-9 at a rain-soaked Darrell K. Royal Texas Memorial Stadium Saturday. Junior quarterback Tyrone Swoops ran for 50 yards and three touchdowns on the Longhorns' win. Texas's defense held the Wildcats to 242 yards on offense. It was the Longhorns' best offensive performance this year. Texas at 3-4 has an opportunity to win its third straight game and even its record back to 500 with a win over Iowa State on Saturday at 6 p.m. in Ames, Iowa. Texas Volleyball suffered its first Big 12 loss this season on Wednesday to TCU. The Longhorns were swept by the Horn Frogs in three sets. Texas is looking to rebound against Texas Tech on Friday at 6 p.m. in Lubbock. Back to you, Lillian. Thanks, Nick. Now we have Forrest Milburn in the studio to talk about the third Republican presidential debate. Forrest, what were some of the major issues the candidates discussed? First of all, thanks for letting me be here. Um, The GP debate was different from the Democratic debate in the sense that Um, the Republican debate was very, it was meant to be focused heavily on the economy. Um, while the democratic debate was just like a slew of like random issues that are like important to the primary. The biggest takeaway I had from the GOP debate was the, there was, there was a big lack of student focused issues. Students of course care about like the issues of the economy and like foreign policy. Um, but they do put a, like a lot of weight on a stu- candidate's stances on college affordability, gun control, immigration, and social issues like gay marriage. Um, and there was very little of that in the Republican debate. And uh, what did you think about the candidates' media bashing? I thought it was perfect for their polling numbers. A, a lot of analysts after the debate said that the Republican base loves the idea of a liberal media that's biased against the candidates, even though uh, the media prior to the debate 
um, was propping up some candidates like Cruz and Rubio, saying that they probably would have a good debate performance, uh, which they did. All the candidates, uh, Carson and um, Jeb Bush, didn't have as good of a night. So how would you compare this debate to the last Democratic debate? So the Democratic debate was uh, like different from the Republican one because um, the Democratic one talked a lot about gun control early on. Um, gun control is a big issue for college students right now, especially like in lieu of the uh, recent college shootings in Oregon. They're just like really attuned to these issues right now. And they've always, they've always, the Democratic primary, especially students have always been attuned to that. Um, but the Democratic debate also talked about college affordability and like higher ed issues in that sense. There was almost no discussion of that. And so hopefully there's going to be more of that in the next one on November 10th. All right. Thank you, Forrest. We'll continue to watch what happens. And now we turn our attention to the Supreme Court Fisher v. UT case, for which the university filed a brief this Monday. We have Matthew Adams in the studio. Matthew, what does the university have to say? On Monday, UT filed its brief in response to the Fisher versus UT case. The Fisher side and her attorneys had submitted a brief on September 3rd, and this was UT's response to it. The brief says Fisher is, quote, doubly wrong about her claims in regard to educational benefits diversity can have, and also that um, UT is only looking at um, diversity amongst influential backgrounds. Based upon previous arguments she has mentioned and in this latest brief from Fisher, UT says that the argument is ultimately aimed at dismantling rather than applying the court's existing precedent and replacing it with a regime with race can essentially never be considered even in a holistic review. So what Fisher is arguing for, she was denied admissions in 2008, being a white female, um, not being a top 10% of her class. She ended up going to LSU, but since 2012, she has been fighting in the Supreme Court over this issue of race being a factor and being denied admissions. And even in this brief, UT argues that based upon the damages um, or payment that she is asking for, UT claims that Fisher would only receive back part of her application fee. For more on the justices involved in this case, we have columnist Daniel Hung in the studio. Daniel, could you first explain the two most likely outcomes of the case? In a regular Supreme Court case, there are nine justices, but in this case, there are only eight because Justice Kagan recused herself. And with these eight justices, the two most likely outcome would be a 5-3 decision against UT or a 4-4 split, which would be a tie. In a 4-4 split, UT would prevail because the Court of Appeal ruled for UT. So basically, the Supreme Court didn't really make a ruling if it's a 4-4 decision. Well, 5-3 decision is more likely because based on the um, justices' past voting records, we have at least five justices that are against affirmative action. And those are Alito, Scalia, Thomas, Kennedy, and Roberts. You predict that the decision will really fall on the shoulders of two justices. Could you talk about Chief Justice Roberts and Justice Kennedy's past voting records and why you think they would vote against UT's use of affirmative action? Right. So people have been doubting um, Justice Roberts now since he voted with the liberals in the Obamacare decision. But based on his past voting records as to just affirmative action itself and racial discrimination, it seems like he will not be going against his past voting records. I mean, he famously said in an opinion that the way to end discrimination on the basis of race is to end discrimination on the basis of race. So it would be out of character for him to vote for UT in this case. 
Now, Professor Gralia from the law school believed that the decision will fall on Justice Kennedy, who's generally known as the swing vote in the Supreme Court. However, in the last um, important affirmative action case of Grutter v. Bollinger in 2003, Justice Kennedy was on the dissent, the side that did not want affirmative action. So, based on how he voted then, and assuming he'll vote the same way today, he will also vote against UT in this case. And what do you think a ruling against UT would mean for other universities with similar admissions processes? Well, with this being a Supreme Court case, it would apply to every university in the United States, um, depending on what the ruling is exactly. If, for example, they say you cannot use affirmative action no matter what now, other schools will have to also end affirmative action and consider applications in the admission process through a colorblind process, meaning they do not take race into account at all. Thank you. And now to Kat Cardenas and Chris Duncan with the Daily Texan Backbeat. Thank you, Anthony. So this week we have a new album from the band Fuzz. Fuzz is a trio featuring Ty Seagal. Uh, most of you know him as a solo artist on guitar. This time he's playing drums. Uh, he also plays with Charles Moothart and Chad Ubovich. This is their second LP. It's called Two. And here's a song that represents the album pretty well. It's called Rat Race. Personally, I wasn't really crazy about this song. The guitar was kind of repetitive and it really didn't bring anything new for me. Yeah, the beginning of the song, the guitar riffs are exciting for me, but, um, and the vocal effects turned out well. It was a very quick three minutes, so I guess it was easy to listen to, but it sounded a lot like uh, something similar to his influences, very Ozzy Osbourne-esque. So it's nothing really amazing, but I thought it was still a fun song. The next song we have for you guys is Burning Wreath. Check it out. This is my personal favorite song on the LP. The calm guitar at the beginning builds into uh, later energy in the track, and it's it's really mesmerizing. Yeah, I think this song was probably the most dynamic off of the whole record. The guitar really did a good job changing the pace and conveying a lot of different moods. All right, so here's the last song we're going to listen to. It is called Red Flag. I was not a fan of this song. The vocals felt really thin and kind of soppy. I just didn't like it. It it definitely wasn't my favorite song. The lyrics are meant to dominate the track, which would be fine, but the lyrical content itself, there's really no force behind it. So there's really nothing to, you know, there's no backbone to the song because of how sparse it is. I think overall the album was pretty competent, but the vocals really never matched the intensity of the guitar or the drums, so it kind of felt... It fell short for me, and it felt kind of like a weird Ozzy Osbourne knockoff. So this album isn't very dynamic, but it's kind of what I expected to hear. Just a slight uh, alteration or modification of the band's influences. In the end, the music's fun. So if you're into harder rock music, something close to maybe what Black Sabbath created, uh, I would suggest checking these guys out. Otherwise, it, it probably isn't the album for you. So that's it from us, and back to Anthony. Thanks, guys. Now it's time for Quick Flicks. This week we have Alex Pelham in the studio to talk about Sandra Bullock's latest release, Our Brand is Crisis. Alex, right off the bat, what are you rating this movie? 
Uh, I would give it two out of five stars. Oh, all right. Uh, would you say the failure in this film is more on the part of the acting or the plot? Or is it a combination of both? Uh, I would think it's mostly a problem with the plot. It just, the movie doesn't know what it wanted to be. It, on one end, it wants to be like a sort of almost slapstick comedy parody of politics. And then on the other end, like towards the end, it wants to be more serious and delve into how politics affects people's lives. And I don't, it just couldn't handle both at the same time. So who is this movie for? Uh, can you give us a brief synopsis? The story is adapted from a, I believe it's a 2005 documentary about a 2002 Bolivian presidential election where candidates hired American political consultants in order to increase their chances of winning. So I'd probably recommend this film for just political science majors or just anyone interested in politics in general. There's a lot of intended cynicism uh, within this film. Does the film uh, falter in that? It's a little cynical, but it's mostly just comedic and just parroting the election cycle. But again, it also tries to be serious with it, which doesn't work out as well. And Bullock plays the lead role in this film. Thoughts on her character? Uh, Her character is probably the most entertaining part of the movie. Just this like manic sort of like genius political advisor, but I kind of found it was a little hard to believe that she was supposed to be this genius and yet she's kind of being played for laughs as clumsy or just kind of this manic depressive political leader and it's just really it was an odd combination, but she is entertaining. All right, thanks Alex. And now it's time for Crime Corner. This week we have a special guest. He is the hero that Austin deserves, but not the one it needs right now. Ladies and gentlemen, Batman. Thanks, Anthony. On October 24th, between 8.30 and 2.30, at the art building located on 2301 San Jacinto, a theft occurred. A white electric golf cart with an attached six-foot ladder and containing several hand tools was stolen while it was parked by the building. On October 27th, around 1.38 a.m., at 2500 New Aces, a patrolling officer observed a Chevrolet Cobalt driving wrong way on a one-way roadway. Upon stopping the vehicle, the officer observed the non-UT driver was vigorously attempting to awaken the non-UT front seat passenger of the vehicle. Once the officer awoke the passenger, he began to develop the belief that the person was inebriated. All of a sudden, the driver was no longer wished to assume care, custody, and control of the intoxicated subject. The front seat passenger became more argumentative and told the officer, Ain't no way I'm being detained. Despite his best argument, the subject was indeed being detained until the point he was arrested. With that, the subject accused the officer as being drunk as hell. Several officers were needed to place the subject into the patrol car. Several more officers were needed to remove the subject from the patrol car at the local lockup. And that about does it for this week's edition of the Daily Texan Newscast. In the meantime, there is always more news at DailyTexanOnline.com. You can also follow the Daily Texan on Twitter at the Daily Texan and this podcast at Texan Newscast. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. Just search for the Daily Texan Newscast. We'll see you next week, everybody. Bye, guys. This podcast was produced by the Daily Texan and hosted by Anthony Green and Lillian Michelle. Today's guests were Matthew Adams, Forrest Milburn, Daniel Hung, Nick Castillo, Chris Duncan, and Kat Cardenas. 
The music was by Jazar. Join us for our next episode, Friday, November 6th. And be sure to catch up with all the news at DailyTexanOnline.com.